The moment has come. You mean I... Yes, it's time for you to take your place. Robin. What's wrong? Are you afraid of it? No, it isn't fear. It's more... That Robin costume carries so much history. I mean, Dick made it into a symbol the whole world knows. Jason gave his life for it. Failing them, that's what worries me. I know. That costume weighs more than any symbol should. And I'd be failing you if I expected you to bear that weight. That's why I created this. What's in here? Something different. A costume for a new age. A darker age. It's redesigned. Tougher. More practical. But this black cape, I, I thought yellow symbolized the brighter side. The lining is yellow. The symbols are still there, Tim. But the needs of this dark age are there, too. I don't know. What's wrong? It feels right, Bruce, but I'm not sure. I, I need more time. I kept thinking it I... was still a long way from this. You're ready now, Tim. I thought you'd done your thinking. I thought that this was what you wanted, to be my partner. Why me? Why did you pick me? What makes me the next guy to become Robin? My choices aren't random. You've got the skills needed to do the job. Speed, agility, guts. I don't have the guts. Wearing this costume has almost given me the shakes. I'm afraid. It's not the danger of the streets that scares me. I'm scared of letting you down. I'd rather walk away from this now than let you see you made the wrong choice. I don't need someone who jumps in without considering the consequences. That's not what I'm looking for. This job takes more brains than anything else. You have that. You proved it by figuring out that I'm the Batman. But you don't need a computer hacker to sit here and work up crime statistics and police records. You need someone to watch your back out on the streets. You can be all that, Tim. You just need the edge. And I know just where you can find it. You don't like the Drake. I hate the Drake. I love the Drake. How could you not like the Drake? Who's the Drake? Who's the Drake? The Drake is good. Do you like the Drake? I love the Drake. What about the Drake? Screw the Drake. I love the Drake. Hello, everyone, and welcome to Robin Everyone Loves the Drake comic podcast. I'm your host, Rob Myers. This podcast is going to be taking a look at Tim Drake, my favorite Robin. We'll be taking a look at Tim's first appearance in Batman Year 3, that's Batman 436, and working our way through Tim's training all the way to Tim's ongoing Robin series that went 183 issues. So sit back and relax and find out why everyone loves the Drake. Good for them. Love the Drake. Got you. Hello, everyone, and welcome to episode 13 of Robin Everyone Loves the Drake. I'm your host, Rob Myers, and can you believe it? 13 episodes, and we're actually going to be talking about a comic that has Robin on the top of it. It doesn't say Batman. It doesn't say Detective Comics. This is a Tim Drake story uh, with very little Batman. It's uh, Tim out in the world, big bad world for himself, and I thought... Now, who could I have on the show that would like to talk about this? Of course, I want to invite back Terrence O'Neill. Terrence, how are you doing, buddy? I'm doing great. Glad to be here for lucky number 13. Yeah. That's all. Oh, I, I didn't even think about that. Lucky yeah. 13. Uh, so for this episode, uh, Terrence and I will be talking about uh, 
the Robin first mini series that gave us a little tease of uh, we're not going to give Tim his uh, own comic just yet. We're going to do this through a little uh, mini series as uh, DC would do. Uh, they would have Robin one, as this is commonly referred to, then Robin two, Robin three. Um, and we'll talk about Robin three later on, but I kind of felt at that point, it was like, just give Tim his own series, but, uh, they were still tying up some loose ends in nightfall, but, uh, we'll be looking at the first mini series and we'll be talking, uh, uh, loosely about, uh, two of the books in the mini series, uh, issue number one and issue two, issue two, excuse me, this will be in a five part series. And I think I'm going to break this up over the course of probably about, uh, three episodes uh, the next episode will be obviously three and four, and then the third episode will be five, and then Tim's actual debut in the Batman uh, comic book after he's through with his training. So uh, it was kind of opening up. Uh, Terrence, uh, once uh, DC uh, brought out, because uh, this leads uh, right from the end of, like literally right from the end of the previous episode or previous issue of Batman 457, it's, you could look at these two pages, the ending of the page and then the beginning of uh, issue number one here, and jump right into the story, which I thought was really cool to uh, start the series. What were your uh, first uh, impressions of it once you knew that we were going to get a Robin uh, comic book, kind of like you know what your thoughts were? Well, uh, yeah, when I, when I saw 457, I, I was really excited. You know, I was probably right around the same age as Tim was in the comics, probably like 15, 16, around there, and uh, I remember getting 457, and um, I was notorious for flipping through the comics before I read it, and so before I read it, I had flipped and saw that back page and saw his, uh, you know, new, I'll call it a uniform, I guess some people might call it a costume, but saw that new Robin costume, and this this was like the first change that wasn't an alternate world or Earth 2 or something like that that I had never seen. This is the first one I've seen since the Pixie costume, and I was just blown away by the new costume. I, I, I think I stared at that picture for, like, literally hours, probably, when I had time, you know, back then to stare at stuff for hours. <laughs> and, and, it was, and it got a lot of press, not just in the comic book world, but it was on TV. And I remember Dennis Miller did a joke about it on Saturday Night Live on the news, and I was like, holy cow. You know, like, even though he was kind of ragging on him, I was still like, wow, it made SNL. So I, I was really, really excited for the Robin I, I always loved Robin as a kid, obviously, because you know, I'm Batman here. But um, I, I was just really super excited that Robin was, like, stepping to the forefront here and uh, getting so much attention. Yeah, I I was the same way. And it, it, the that last uh, panel in 457 uh, where Tim comes out and says, ladies and gentlemen, meet the new Robin, I, I think I did the exact same thing that you did. And I love that it was a giant... Uh, two-page uh, splash, you know, splash page, and I just remember just looking at every minute detail and uh, thinking the the whole entire time, though, well, that Tim's gonna put on Jason's costume like he did Claire back in uh, 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 Lonely Place of Dying, and you know, here we're given a brand new costume, and it just seemed uh, to all make sense. And uh, one of the coolest things uh, that I noticed right away is that his R was different, something that you know, set him apart uh, from the other Robins, obviously with the costume. Uh, my two favorite parts of the costume uh, is Tim's R that, you know, DC still uses uh, now um, just to when they write the word Robin or anything. But 
the coolest thing I thought about Tim's costume was the black cape with the yellow on the inside. So if he wanted to be in the shadows, he could kind of drape it around him. And it was a much longer cape, uh, not quite as long as Batman's, but you know, it wasn't hitting him at the butt or anything like the previous <laughs> Robins. I just thought that was so cool that he actually had pants and, uh, uh, the ninja boots I also thought were pretty cool, where you could kind of see the definition in, you know, like the one toe. I thought that was cool. Did you have a, a favorite part of uh, Tim's costume? Yeah, pretty much the same as you. I thought the, the logo was awesome. I think I'm not an artist. I can't draw for anything, but I think I copied that R and, and traced it or drew it a whole bunch of times all over my notebooks while I should have been listening to math or language arts or some, some kind of <laughs> rambling of my teacher. And I just thought the black cape with the yellow underneath it was was awesome because it was new it was hip it was you know cool looking but yet it still had the yellow that still kept that robin tradition and uh the pants and i think i remember hearing something that the r was supposed to be like a throwing star i don't know i have to look back and see if they ever incorporated that or i, I think that got that might have just been something i read and it never came true but that like the r was supposed to be removable and he could throw it but um yeah he instead actually, of ranks, does he yeah in a, in some of the early runs of the robin series and i think uh he uses it uh not in this series but the second robin series of joker's wild uh okay. he uses it a couple times and the uh, and the interesting thing I, I liked about that, it wasn't like the R just magically appeared back on his chest until he went back to the Batcave. Uh, it was just a black circle on his chest, which I thought was cool. But after a while, they kind of, um, you know, let that let that go and just gave him, you know, batarangs. Yeah. Now, um, I know when the, the, the book came out, I actually clearly remember, even though it's over 20 years ago, going to the comic book store to to, to get this or I was getting my weekly comics at that point, but to, to pick it, the book up, knowing that this book would come out, and there was actually a line in the comic book store. It wasn't, wasn't quite as crazy as the death of the Superman stuff, but I remember a line, and then people buying multiple copies of this Robin issue. Um, so, yeah, it was pretty exciting. Um, I wish I could say that I there was a long line. But the comic book store, and I'm doing uh, my finger quotes like you can see. Okay, <laughs> yeah. But... Uh, it's the the comic book shop that I've always gone to, and the, the same old lady. I think she's uh, 91 now and still runs it. Um, so it tells you how long she's uh, been at that uh, running this uh, comic book store. It's actually like a used bookstore for like uh, romance novels, or if you want the latest John Grisham uh, novel, they have you know like you would find at the supermarket those little you know three four inch uh, books. But in the back uh, corner of a store, they have uh, about just a, a normal size wall. It's nothing real large of just comics. And uh, you just kind of have to walk around the uh, aisle to back to their comic uh, book section. And I can remember them having signs of... Um, I don't remember what... It, I remember there being a silhouette of Robin. You could kind of see the costume. I think it may have been just like a darkened version of uh, 457 where he says, you know, ladies and gentlemen, meet the new Robin. They had the Robin logo on it, and they had uh, a date. And then every week, they had a little like teardown piece of paper of like you know, uh, 30 days till you know uh, Robin number one, you know, 29 days, you know, whatever it was. So I can remember I wanted to be there in case there was going to be this mad rush, and there was only like two other people there because it's, yeah. it's such a small uh, store. But I had read, you know, uh, like in your case where you know people were, you know, like you said, not for the death of Superman, but were, there were decent lines for this book. Um, I wanted to ask you about this book. Do you still have the poster uh, for uh, number, issue number one? Yeah, you know, it's funny you say that because I, I was going to talk to you about that because um, 
what at the comic book store, I went to several different comic book stores over the course of my collecting as a kid, um, and they changed hands and they closed down. And some of them would actually want to deposit or charge you money for a weekly pull list. So I was always kind of looking around for the best deal or the best discount. Or um, some of the stores would um, give you a good discount, but then they didn't always have the books. And other ones would only give you a little discount. So the store I was going to at the time, I, I remember it clearly because uh, it was owned by this this couple, and they had a daughter who worked there who was smoking hot. She was really <laughs> She was like 18 or 19. I was like 15, you know, and she's like 19. So it's like, wow, it's, you know, like, so worldly. And uh, she could care less about comics. Like, you could tell she was just working there because her dad was saying, you have to work here to, or I'm not paying for your car or whatever. Uh, and so she was just, she could care less about comics or what you were buying or she just rang it up. But uh, I, I, I think I said three words to her in the two years that I went there, but it was very, uh, very intimidating. Uh, but they had a big poster of the cover of Robin number one hanging. I don't think I don't know if it had the tear off thing or or not, um, but it was this the red cover with the Eiffel Tower and the the Brian Boland cover. Um, and I I have my issue, but I never opened up the poster inside of it, and I would try to like fold it a little bit and peek to see what it looked like. And I, I guess I originally thought it was just the cover, just the poster that they had in the store. But then as I could look at it, I could see well this isn't you know this is I think it's different. I think it, this is blue. It doesn't look red. And then when we yeah, discussed about a week and a half ago doing this podcast. I pulled it out. I'm like, you know, I've never opened this poster. And so I went online. And I'm like, what does this poster look like? And I realized now that it was done by Neil Adams, which I, I don't think I knew who Neil Adams was back then or that. And I finally got to see what it looks like because people, I think, are selling it on eBay. Uh, so I actually <laughs> kind of saw what it looked like. But yeah, my, my poster still folded and stapled inside. Um, and it's kind of yellow. The white is now yellow, but the staples haven't rusted, so it may um, may, may make my wall in 20 or 30 years from now. Well, I have a funny story with this poster. I, uh, mine is still intact. Uh, I shouldn't say a funny story. A really cool thing happened. Um, still intact. I've never opened it, and I have never seen what this looked like up until about a month ago, I think. Oh, cool. Um, I'll post uh, the picture so you can see it on the Robin Everyone Loves the Drake uh, podcast uh, Facebook page. And I think I've already posted this on my own uh, Rob's Rogues uh, Facebook page. But one of my YouTube followers... Um, was meeting uh, I didn't know this uh, a, a package showed up at my house and uh, his name's Edgar Leeton so Edgar if you're listening uh, thank you very much for this brother a uh, package showed up at my house and uh, he was kind of uh, sending me text messages because he was tracking the package and he said uh, hey uh, you probably want to get your mail in the next day or so so um, I think it was a Friday when I got my mail, and there was this you know, manila envelope that said, you know, do not open, don't bend, or, you know, don't crush, fragile. And uh, I sent him a text. I said, what is it? And he said, oh, open it up. I, I think you'll like this. So I pulled it out, and it's the poster from this issue. I'm like, oh, that's really cool, man. It's like I've I've always wondered, you know, what this was because I could kind of see the blue. I did the same thing you did. I peeked at it. And he said, look carefully at the bottom of the poster and I looked at it it's actually signed by Den or Denny O'Neill uh, <laughs> Neil Adams uh, oh wow cool I met Neil Adams at a comic book convention about three weeks prior and uh, took his own personal poster out of his uh, issue and uh, had Neil sign it and the bottom of it says uh, to Neil biggest Robin fan 
So I thought that is entirely cool. So that is currently sitting on my wall right behind me. So I, I'll uh, post the picture up on the uh, Facebook page so uh, people could see. So that's one of my prized possessions that I, I never knew what this actually looked like, other than kind of seeing just you know some little bit. I could kind of tell it looked like he was on a gargoyle, but it's just a beautiful, beautiful picture of Tim on top of this gargoyle, and. Uh, it got me wondering, I wonder what it would have been like if Neil would have drawn this uh, first issue. And uh, let me preface this by saying I love Tom Lyle's art, and Tom would uh, go on to draw Robin for uh, quite a while. So uh, I've, I definitely like uh, Tom Lyle's art. But, yeah, so that's my uh, story with uh, this poster, totally by surprise. So, again, Edgar, if you're listening, thanks a lot, buddy. <laughs> yeah, that's awesome. That That is really awesome. Yeah, I've been uh, catching up on some podcasts. I listened to the... I think it's five Neil Adams Fat Man on Batman episodes. He's a, he's a really interesting guy. He's <laughs> really entertaining. So that that's pretty awesome. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, I think uh, he's just been on the most uh, recent uh, episode of Fat Man on Batman. I just finished that one a little bit, and uh, uh, Kevin Smith says, "Hey, Neil Adams loves to talk Neil Adams," and you hear him go, "Yes, I do." <laughs> so, <laughs> yeah, yeah. He's pretty cool. Now, um, I. I, I I remember when I got this issue, like I remember going to the comic book store and seeing the poster the, the, of the cover and not really liking it, like thinking it was kind of off. And um, then when I read the issue, I didn't really like it. And then now that I've reread it recently, I, I kind of remember how much I didn't like this issue. And I don't know if you're going to get mad at me for not liking this or you loved it and we have some point-counterpoint, but, but on the cover, I just... The cover bothers me. Even now, looking at it, I just feel like they've got the spirit and the the essence of Tim Drake all wrong in this. Now, the Batman is kind of off-model. It's kind of Brian Boland's um, Batman from, I guess, The Killing Joke a little bit. So the the, the Batman I've been reading in in Batman and Detective up to this did not look like that. Um, But then I just just really feel like in the, the corner under the DC bullet, the logo... Like, that's Tim Drake there standing with Batman. That looks like that was done by Jim Apparo or uh, I, But yeah. I, I always felt the, the cover was just off. What did you think of it? Yeah, yeah I, 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 that's I, definitely uh, Bray Fogle's Batman and Robin up in the uh, upper left-hand corner. But it's the eyes that bother me so much uh, with this. Yeah. You kind of see the uh, black, I guess it would be the pupils of it, and it just Tim's they're trying to draw him real mean and menacing and uh, you said it perfectly they they've captured the spirit of tim wrong uh the very last uh, issue of the robin series issue 183 is a uh, a hallmark or a, a tip to the hat to this they've got tim in a very uh, similar pose with the ghostly image of uh, Batman behind him. I don't know why I felt the need to say that, but <laughs> that's kind of cool that they at least a book ended the images of the you know first uh, Robin issue and then the uh, last one. But it's and also with his his hand looks a little too small, like you can kind of see uh, the part of the glove where it's like, hey, I'm Robin, but I'm also trying to be part vampire. <laughs> yeah, at the same yeah. time. So, and and his, his, oh, sorry, his hair bothers me, too. He's got, like, a, the hair of a 40-year-old. It's like Richard Nixon's hair. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. He's got, like, the widow's peak and the receding hairline. It just seems like I don't think Brian Boland really knew much about the character or 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 not. And luckily, this is not the Tim Drake that we got. But this, this the cover always bothered me. Yeah, I was, I was always the same way. And uh, I had the issue for so long that... 
I started thinking, did I get a reprint of this? Because after a while, once it, things would go into a second or third reprint, they would start changing the back color scheme. So it took me for a while to realize, is this like a second printing? Is it, was the original white, but you know the first printings are red. And I think all uh, printings after this are all still red. It's just in the uh, numbering in the bottom of the pages that's, or you know, like kind of like the bylines that you could tell if you have a yeah. first printing or a second. And then you wouldn't have the poster as well. Yeah. Hey, can I ask you a question? When the new Rob and costume came out, um, did you ever recall anybody being down on it? Because my recollection is that everybody, now when I say everybody, that meant the eight guys in my high school who read comics who I talked to, and anyone in the comic book store, uh, but everyone was high on it. Like, everyone thought it was awesome. Everyone thought it was cool. I don't remember anybody saying, oh, this is stupid, or go back the other way. Everyone was, was like, really really upbeat on it. What, what was the impression? Uh, it was the same way. Uh, there were uh, three uh, three of us that hung around together and uh, read comics and traded back and forth. Um, it, and even going to the comic book store, the same reaction. Everybody was like, finally, they gave uh, Robin a costume that, you know, just, it, you know, the old pixie boots just seemed dated. And I, I've heard nobody, uh, even today, uh, but especially back, you know, in 1991, if I have that the date right. Yeah, 91. <laughs> uh, yeah. Diss on the costume at all. I think this is probably... Uh, one of the best versions on uh, the last episode. If uh, you managed to listen to that one, uh, Anthony Livy and I were talking about our favorite, uh, Tim Drake costume, uh, being this one, uh, the red Robin costume. Uh, well, you can throw the new 52 in there as well, or the one year later costume where he was all in the red and black. I think out of the two costumes, I still lean towards the red and black just a little bit. Um, but uh, this one I, is, is classic and will always uh, remain. Do you do you have a, a favorite Tim Drake costume that he's wore? Uh, you know, this one's got a real uh, soft spot in my heart because it was the first re-imaging. And, um, you know, there, there's been a lot of really good redesigns of comic book characters. I think of, like, the Golden Age, the Silver Age Flash, Green Lantern, and... Um, the uh, Wolverines redesign, but I would go down and say that this is the number one costume redesign in all of comics. Uh, so, but I, I, like you, I really like the um, the black one that he wore in memory of Superboy's death, which kind of didn't last very long. Uh, that one, that I thought was really cool in the one year later. Uh, but there was one, and you know what, I don't know what issue it was. Um, it was part of the Robin regular series. He didn't wear it very long. But it was kind of like this version, but in a winter outfit. It had, like, long sleeves. And, yeah. uh, um, gosh, you know, I'll probably go crazy looking through a long box for that. But I always really liked that one. Whatever one that was, uh, I'll kind of look for it here while we're talking. And uh, if I find it, I'll, I'll interrupt you. And it'll be in mid-sentence. And I'll just be like, Robin 66 or something. <laughs> but, uh, yeah, I, I think you know which one I'm talking about, though. The Robin sort of winter version of the outfit. Yeah. Which, uh, which uh, costume I always thought was uh, uh, cool, at least in the you know the half a dozen times or so that uh, there is winter or rain in Gotham City. You could actually look at Tim in this costume and say, okay, I think he would actually be warm in this costume rather than <laughs> having little short shorts. <laughs> yeah. Or I always argued, no, he has flesh-toned you know spandex that uh, you know he wears when it's winter time. Trying to argue for Jason and Dick, but this one actually. 
you know, is a little bit more practical. Uh, something I liked that they uh, went with at the very beginning of it that uh, they kind of uh, made mention of the fact that it's more of like an armor. It's got a, a Kevlar inside. Um, and then after a while, it just kind of became material. But I kind of liked that they went with that for a while. And uh, I think that maybe kind of a uh, maybe a, a safety feature, I guess, that Batman might have been going for. Like, you know, uh, Jason wasn't very well protected in his previous costume. I'm going to make sure that this Robin it is protected. So I kind of liked it that it was almost like an armored type of a suit for a while. Because in some of the, I don't know if it's in this issue or if it's in a latter one, but you actually see it like on a stand and it's very stiff and very rigid where it's not... Um, like fabricy, I, I thought that was was kind of cool in the in the earlier runs of uh, Tim's uh, career with this costume. Yeah, agreed. Uh, the only thing it's missing is a hood. I kind of like the Robin with the hood. Uh, so, so, yeah, that, that was a cool feature they added later on. I did want to go back to, to say what you were talking about uh, just a little bit ago about you know some of the redesigns uh, that we've had in comics, and I I agree. I don't know if there has been a redesign where people have been like, yeah, that's that's perfect, other than this one. You have, like you said, the Flash and Green Lantern, but then you have some other redesigns that are just completely horrendous, and they don't last very long. Um, one that comes to mind is the red and blue uh, Superman, uh, yeah. where they you know got rid of the cape, and he's in this, you know, Tron, weird, you know, two-colored suit. So uh, some of the redesigns crash and burn uh, very hard. And even going into the new 52 with uh, Tim being uh, Red Robin and the whole wing suit and everything like that, I absolutely hated uh, that costume. Uh, but it's actually starting to grow on me a little bit, and I'm I'm sure as I really start to, you know, find it acceptable, they'll probably just change <laughs> change the yeah. costume. But um, yeah, this has probably been uh, other than the red and black. This is definitely a uh, it, one of my favorite uh, incarnations of uh, Tim Drake, or even just Robin in general, and uh, in you know this costume went into the uh, animated series, and they gave it to Dick Grayson. And uh, I don't know if you uh, knew this or if you had any action figures growing up, but when Batman Returns came out, there was a possibility of uh, putting. Uh, a Robin character in the movies, and Kenner actually produced. Uh, the very first uh, Tim Drake Robin figure in this color scheme, but it was packaged with the Batman Returns with you know Michelle Pfeiffer, D- Danny DeVito uh, action figures, and there was this Robin figure that I still have today, and I always thought that was really weird. Like why why is there a Robin figure when there was no Robin in the uh, movie, but it was something that they had in production, assuming that they were going to do a Robin, but you know never did. So I don't know if you uh, knew that or not. No, I didn't know. I didn't know that. Um, the uh, Robin costume we were talking about with the long sleeves was in issue eighty-nine of the the original uh, ongoing series. So if anybody wanted to take a look at that, and we need an action figure for that one. <laughs> yes. <laughs> well, uh, and it's kind of a, a funny, you know, doing this uh, podcast starting at you know uh, I started in December of last year, but this is the twenty-fifth anniversary of Tim Drake. Uh, I think August is actually, uh, I had the date written somewhere, I can't find it right at the moment, uh, but August is Tim Drake's, you know, birthday, so, you know, we just celebrated uh, the 25th anniversary of 
the 89 Batman uh, movie, and uh, it's also the uh, anniversary of Tim Drake, so I thought that was kind of cool that uh, the Tim Drake character has been around that long. And, and arguably, when people uh, rank their favorite Robins, uh, Tim is usually almost always the very, very top of that list. So I think that kind of says... Uh, how well Tim was written and how much uh, Tim just brought the popularity of Robin um, up even more than it probably already was to begin with. Yeah, I agree. All right. So at this point, we will get into the synopsis. We're going to cover two issues here for the Robin miniseries. It'll be issue one and issue two. So I'll take the first synopsis and then Terrence will go to the next one. And when we come back, we will... Uh, discuss these two issues and uh, we'll see where our conversation kind of goes from there. So uh, thanks for tuning into the show and welcome to the show. Robin number one, cover date January 1991, on sale date November 13th, 1990, cover price is a dollar, writer is Chuck Dixon, penciler Tom Lyle, inker Robert R. Smith, letters Timothy Harkins, colorist Adrian Roy, editor is Dennis O'Neill, cover credits on this issue go to Brian J. Boland. All this information is brought to us by Mike's Amazing World. Tim Drake, Robin, created by Marv Wolfman and Pat Broderick, with Neil Adams and Norm Brayfogle giving credit to creating Robin's new costume. Big Bad World, issue number one of a five-part miniseries, Robin. Picking right up from the final pages of Batman 457, the story continues. Tim Drake, now the new boy wonder Robin, stands in the Batcave in his own new costume. And now everything comes at him all at once. This is what he wanted for so long. And now that it's here, is he ready? Did Batman make a mistake by picking him? Tim tells Bruce about his fears. It's not on the street that scares Tim. It's letting down Bruce. What if he's not fully ready? Bruce tells Tim he did make the right choice and that Tim is ready. He just needs an edge to round out his fighting skills. In Tokyo, Lady Shiva stands before Kyoshi to test her might against him but she's too late. He's in a wheelchair and has taken quite a beating. Now she wants to test her might against the one that did this to him. 
King Snake, but Kuroshi has no idea where he is. Shiva says that she is good at finding out those who she is looking for. When Shiva asks how King Snake was able to defeat him so easily when Kuroshi was able to stop so many before, what weapon did King Snake use on him? Kuroshi replies, the dark. He strikes from the dark. In Tim's room, Alfred is helping Tim pack for his trip to Paris. Tim will be getting hands-on training from the man that trained Bruce. Tim is still unsure if he's right for the job and if he's making a mistake by his choice to leave for training. Alfred reassures Tim that he is the right one for the job. Bruce would not have chosen Tim if he wasn't right and he will learn so much from his travels. After packing his Robin costume and computers and his gear, there's only two stops that he has to make before he catches his plane. The grave site for his mother and to visit for a moment with his father in the hospital, whom is still unresponsive after his brush with death at the hands of the Obeah man. Once on the plane, and then in Paris, Tim sets off to find Raoul Lama, the last surviving master of empty hand and weapons form. His only school is in Paris. Tim arrives at the address and is met by Senchi, one of the Lama's students and the Lama's grandson. Senchi shows Tim his room. It's not exactly the four seasons. It's hardly even a one season. Senchi tells Tim that training starts early, so he better get some sleep. He'll need it. In the morning, Tim meets with the Lama. He doesn't speak hardly any English, so most of the training will come from Senshi. The Lama does show Tim the healing methods first. These are pressure points on the body that one can use to help heal oneself after a battle or during a battle. Next comes the first round of combat training. Senshi will be Tim's sparring partner. In a matter of moments, Tim is on the ground from the beating that he just took for Senshi. He used those same healing methods as pressure points to put Tim to the ground. Now those healing methods are going to come in real handy. That night, Tim realizes he has much to learn. Later the next day, Tim and Chen-Chi take the night off and head out for some nightlife on Paris. Not really Tim's cup of tea. After a little night at the Roxbury, a woman approaches and Tim starts to make small talk. With the music so loud, she asks Tim if there is some place quieter where the two of them can go and, uh, talk. Senshi tries to swoop in and the young lady quickly puts Chi in his place. And Tim and his new lady friend go outside. Once outside, she asks Tim about America and if Tim has a girlfriend back home. This makes Tim uh, blush and a little uncomfortable, but he thinks that maybe he should start to go find Senshi. She persists that they find that quiet place that she talked about. Just then a group of Paris gang members show up and start hollering for Ling, Tim's lady friend. Billy the gang leader grabs Ling by the arm and pulls her towards him. Tim steps in to help Ling and is quickly met with a kick right to the jaw. He should have been looking at his hands and his feet. Nice one, Tim. The gang takes off with Ling. Tim sees that she is wearing the gang colors. Maybe she's with them. Maybe she likes getting treated like that. Well, maybe she doesn't. What would Bruce do? Tim follows them at a safe distance to a warehouse. The side of the building says Ghost Dragons. Must be the name of the gang. He knows he can't follow any further like this. Tim heads towards the Lama's apartment, which is only a few blocks away. In 10 minutes time, Tim is back and changed into his Robin costume. Good thing he had Alfred pack it. It's much easier and quicker to head back over the rooftops. And in a few moments, Tim is back at the warehouse and makes his way inside. Robin hears what sounds like fighting, or a beating as it were. From top of the rafters, Robin can see the ghost dragons beating another man. Robin doesn't know the story or what is going on or who's who, but he doesn't like the odds. Robin grabs a cable from the rafters and swings down to the warehouse floor. 
rounds of Jackie Van Dam begin between the Ghost Dragons, Robin, and his new friend. In the middle of the circle with the fight, the man introduces himself as Clyde Rollins and says, Thanks, but you just brought a world of trouble your way. What should I call you? Tim replies, Robin. Rockin' Robin? No, just Robin. Clyde and Robin fight their way through the Ghost Dragon members, while from above the warehouse, Shiva watches. To be continued in issue two of Robin. Robin, two of five. Cover, February 1991. Price, $1 US, 125 Canadian, 50p UK. This issue is entitled as Shepherdess. Writer, Chuck Dixon. Penciler, Tom Lyle. Inker, Bob Smith. We begin the story with Tim Drake in his new Robin uniform, giving a devastating kick with his left foot, connecting with a Hong Kong gang member. The kidnapped man who Tim is helping from issue one is attacking another gang member. On the floor of the warehouse, several gang members lay unconscious. Other gang members wait their turn for their chance to attack Robin. The young woman Tim met in the club in issue one looks on. Tim and the kidnapped man begin an all-out assault on the remaining gang members. Tim performs well until a gang member sweeps Tim's leg and then connects the punch right to Tim's jaw. Tim, with dripping blood from his mouth, thinks to himself that he will become paralyzed as a large gang member comes after him with a chain. But, luckily for Tim, walking will be in his future, because the kidnapped man uses a pair of nunchucks that he confiscated to choke the gang member with the chain from behind. Then he uses the nunchucks to take out two more gang members. Holding the nunchucks in the air, he yells to the fleeing gang members, That's it! Run! Go back to Dorrance! Tell him I'm coming for his butt! Tell him Clyde Rollins is gonna have a piece of him! We now know the name of the kidnapped man and who the gang is working for. Tim attempts to run after the gang, thinking that the woman he met in the club is in danger. Clyde grabs Tim's arm and then passes out. Tim knows he must help Clyde first. In the last panel, we see an overhead shot of the ceiling rafters. Unbeknownst to anyone, Lady Shiva has been watching the entire battle from above. She leaves through an opening in the ceiling and follows Tim and Clyde from the rooftops of Paris. Clyde, leaning heavily on Tim, says he cannot go to a hospital. Meanwhile, the Hong Kong gang reports to Sir Edmund their encounter with Clyde and Tim. Sir Edmund, well-dressed in a three-piece suit and dark glasses, gives the leader of the gang a brutal blow to the face after the leader claimed they were attacked by a big guy with a gun. Sir Edmund calmly asks, Would one of you care to tell me what really happened? As the gang leader lays on the floor, his face covered with his own blood, the girl Tim met from the club, who we will later learn is named Lynx, tells Sir Edmund it was a boy. Lynx tells Sir Edmund that Tim did... tells. Sir Edmund what Tim did, and through this we learn that the name of the gang is the Ghost Dragons. Sir Edmund orders the rest of the Ghost, Drang Ghost Dragons to find Rollins, find the boy, and kill them both. He then asks his assistant where they parked, and in doing so we learn the reason for Sir Edmund's dark sunglasses. He is blind. 
In the next scene, we see the Manhunter, Ducard, receiving information from on Sir Edmund Dorrance. We learn that he is a former captain in the British Army and that he is now a Hong Kong businessman worth billions. Ducard is met with is meeting with French officials who want Ducard to take out Sir Edmund. French officials know of the ghost dragons and of their recent run-in with the young American boy. Clyde wakes up, head hurting, bandages all over his body. Tim has respected his wishes and taken him to the Hotel St. Germain instead of a hospital. Tim stands before Clyde with the tray of breakfast. Tim is in normal clothing and no mask. Either he thinks Clyde will not know who he is or trust him with seeing his face unmasked. Still, Tim says he will not introduce himself, but Clyde tells Tim who he is and that he is a DEA field agent working undercover. Tim notes that his DEA card expired three months ago and Clyde is impressed with his detective work. When Tim presses on, all, when Tim presses on, all Clyde will say is that things got personal between him and the ghost dragons. They hurt some people close to him, but Clyde will not elaborate further. Clyde asks Tim what brought him into the fight. Tim tells him, there was this girl, and... And then he trails off. No bother. Clyde tells Tim he knows the rest of the story. Clyde asks Tim his name, and Tim replies, let's just stick with Robin. Through an open window, Lady Shiva appears. You both need help. You are in danger, she tells them. Lady Shiva also informs them that the ghost dragons are on their way to their room. The ghost dragons burst into the room, automatic weapons tearing bullet holes into every inch of the room. But our heroes have escaped out the window. It does not take long for the ghost dragons to realize this, and they begin shooting at our heroes. Lady Shiva is able to escape to the rooftop, but Clyde is unable to climb due to his injuries. Tim, who is now in his Robin uniform, will not abandon Clyde. Tim prepares a special monofilament rope attached to a batarang, and they are able to zip line to safety. When the ghost dragons see Le Flic, the police, they escape down the fire escape. Lady Shiva, who has made it to her, her Porsche, sees the ghost dragons get into their getaway van. She follows them to Sir Edmund, who is not happy about the ghost dragons' bad news. The leader of the ghost dragons pays for the bad news with his life, as Sir Edmund snaps his neck. He then appoints Lynx as the new head of the gang. Sir Edmund and Lynx discuss the Ghost Dragon's mission before Clyde's intervention. Sir Edmund has discovered a secret laboratory underground with old weapons. Lynx and the Ghost Dragons must retrieve the weapons and transport them to Hong Kong. As Sir Edmund gets ready to leave, he catches the scent of Jasmine in the air. It is the scent of Lady Shiva listening and watching the events from afar. Tim takes Clyde to a remote farmhouse in the countryside of France. Clyde is on the mend. Here Tim and Clyde regroup, go over everything that has happened. We learn that Clyde's fight is personal. His wife and two children were gunned down by the gang, and now he has made it a personal vendetta to take down their leader. Clyde accepts Tim's offer for help, and Clyde agrees to teach Tim how to fight. The training does not go well for Tim, as he says, New teacher, new moves, same old pain. Clyde does not hold back on Tim, pushing him physically and mentally. As Clyde connects blows to Tim's body, Clyde's words inflict as much pain as his fists. Connecting an elbow to the back, Clyde says, You're too soft for this, kid. You ain't got it. Tears well up in Tim's eyes as he digs deep inside and lands a tremendous kick to Clyde's abdomen, then an uppercut to his chest. Clyde drops to the ground and gives Tim a half smile and says, You're gonna do alright. Just then a woman's voice says, Bravo. Lady Shiva has been watching from a stone wall. She looks at Tim and says, I've seen better displays of fighting skills in schoolyards. 
You need some elegance in your tutelage, a woman's touch. Tim was thinking that his day of training was coming to an end, but with the arrival of Lady Shiva we see that it is just beginning. All right, that is the synopsis for issue one and issue two, and I gotta say, for having done 13 episodes of the show so far, it's nice to actually see a Robin <laughs> running around in these episodes, running around these uh, issues. Uh, when I kind of mapped out uh, the podcast of you know the issues I was going to do and lead up, I didn't realize it was going to take as long as it did uh, to get to uh, Tim being a Robin, but. Uh, I think they did it uh, very, very well. Um, if I'm doing my math right, I think it's almost two years where Tim Drake is in a training uh, type of a phase where he's, you know, not Robin. I think uh, probably in this day and age, being in the New 52 or maybe even the latter part of the old continuity, they probably would have rushed this a lot faster or we would have got, I think maybe even you said this t- uh Terrence, that it would have been issue one of whatever it was of Batman. Like, here's the new Robin. You would have seen it, and then the the story would have been broken up over you know the course of however many comics. But I think it's really cool that you, the way that they did this, that you became vested in the Tim Drake character as as a person, as it were, um, more so than him being Robin. You you start to fall in love with the Tim Drake character, and then you finally get the payoff of him being Robin, and it's just a very well-rounded uh, story up to this point. So, yeah, I, I loved coming in on the ground floor and, and seeing the training and seeing you know just because you put on the Robin costume, you're not Robin. You you still got to you know earn your stripes, so to speak. And and being here for the start of it and seeing how that's going to happen was was pretty awesome. Um. If you like, we can just uh, hop right into uh, issue one, and uh, as we do on the podcast, we'll probably go in uh, some different directions, so we won't necessarily go through uh, page by page here, but we'll kind of uh, hit some of the important beats. Uh, Something that always struck me odd in the very beginning of this story, if you read 457 and then come right into this, you have in 457 Tim coming out saying, ladies and gentlemen, you meet the new Robin, and then in this uh, these very first few pages, Tim almost has this uh, turnaround of like, well, I, I don't know, why did you pick me? You know, I don't know if I'm ready for this job. And I was kind of, uh, this was the, always the part in the book that always had me scratching my head that now that Tim has the costume, now they write him as kind of doubting it a little bit, where you almost have Bruce kind of, you know, reassuring. It's almost like, you know, you're ready to go jump out of a plane, you got the parachute on and one foot out, and you're like, do you think I'm ready to, you know, jump out of this uh, airplane? It's like uh, if you don't think you are, then maybe, you got, maybe we're making the wrong choice. But uh, that always bothered me. I don't know if that bothered you at all, but uh, it just it seemed a little backwards that I thought Tim would be, you know, absolutely knowing that this is what he wants to do. Granted, he's got a little extra training to do, but it's almost like he's backpedaling or is waiting for Bruce to say, "Well, if you don't want to do it, you can you can go now." Yeah, it, it totally bothered me. It bothered me back then when I first read it. It bothers me even now because at the end of 457, Tim has got so much confidence. He's like, meet the new Rob, and here I am. And I, I, it bothered me because I know a lot of people bought this book. who This was their very first Tim Drake book. They were not following it in Batman. 
They were now following it in detective. You know, they were they were buying all these books with X on the title, X Force and X Men, and all this X stuff and Marvel stuff. And they oh, we pick up one of these Robins here because um, it was trendy. And this is their first introduction. Him whining about I can't do this and. Maybe I'm not the right guy for it. And I'm like, oh, you know, what is this? And it's kind of weird because Chuck Dixon, who I came to really like as a writer, but this is probably Chuck Dixon's first Robin story or Tim story. And he went on to write a lot of Rob Tim Drake book for a lot of issues. Um, so he became a really, really good Robin Tim Drake writer. But here, you know, I feel like he's just, he hasn't got it yet. And if you look at the credits, there's two editors, Dan Raspler, Denny O'Neill, Chuck Dixon coming in. I, I almost wonder if this was kind of pushed by editorial, like, well, you got to introduce him here. Um, you've got to, you know, make him doubt. And because Chuck Dixon normally starts his stories with action. I even read an interview one time with him and he said, every story I start with action. It starts with action. If you pick up issue two, it's right in the middle of a gang fight with Robin and, and Clyde. Um, and here, this is not action. And um, I, I'm like, well, what happened from 457? It sucks that so many people, this is their first taste of Robin, a self-doubting, you know, whiner. <laughs> and I don't think it worked, now that I'm older and a much more sophisticated reader, I don't think it works for the story. I think it would have been a much better story if, on these first couple pages, Tim was all full of, you know, piss and vinegar and, yeah, I'm going to do this and I, I, nothing can stop me and I've got all the confidence and Batman's like, you know, you're not quite there yet. He's like, eh, what are you talking about? And then as he goes on and goes to Paris and starts his training and getting a beat down and having, you know, um, failures and running into trouble with the gang, then that overconfidence with him like now starting to doubt and be like, oh, my gosh, I, you know, maybe I'm not as ready, maybe – I'm not quite as good as I thought. It would have a lot more emotional um, weight to it than him starting out doubting and then doubting even further later on. I think about um, Batman Begins, and I think that's so good because it starts out, Bruce is kind of arrogant. He's kind of, you know, he's uh, you know in the prison, and he's like, you guys are just practice here. And Raj shows up, and he's like, you know what? You're not quite as good as you think here. You want to fight eight men? I can train you to fight 800. And then that scene later on where Bruce is still confident and uh, Roz is like, you haven't you mind your surroundings, and he hits the ice and uh, Bruce falls in. And then later on he's like trying to warm himself by the fire and he, he seems like so weak and fragile. And like he's like, oh, my gosh, he's going to freeze to death. <laughs> over in 20 minutes. Um, that has more weight of him like sitting there freezing, shivering, trying to warm himself up, realizing like, all right, I'm not who I thought I was. Um, so yeah, I agree 100%. I hate the way this book starts. Um, and I, I hate the whole tone of the beginning. Uh, I think they really missed something, but I'll give them a free pass because it, I'm judging this based upon the, what, 500, 600, you know, Tim Drake stories I've read or issues I've read where this was just the beginning and there, I guess we're trying to, to get their bearings. And I actually like this series overall. So I feel like it redeems itself towards the end of the story arc. So I can forgive some, you know, missteps in the beginning. But, yeah, I, I feel like it, it just got off to a really bad start. I had forgotten that until uh, rereading it for the podcast. And I was like, it, has it always been this way? Um, and, uh, Alan Grant did such a great job through uh, the six issues that they did uh, leading up to this. So uh, I know they were trying to keep some of the same beats here, but um, I, I've heard people say it that uh, 
every comic could be somebody's very first comic. So if you have a Robin uh, that seems, you know, oh, I, I, this is perfect, this is exactly what I want, uh, maybe they have to kind of, uh, you know, deconstruct him a little bit for the new reader and make him uh, seem not too sure of himself uh, through the first issue. And by the second issue, Tim is ready to go. He's got, you know, taking Clyde to hotel, and you know, he's doing background checks, and is is the computer whiz that he was, you know, just a... a just two issues prior to this. So, um, like you said, with as many great uh, stories that, that Dixon would write for Tim, I'll, I'll give it a pass, being that, you know, this is the first issue in a, a five-parter, and uh, he doesn't churn out that that many duds. So, like you said, I'll, I'll let this one kind of go. But, yeah, the, the opening just really kind of bothered me here. Yeah, the other thing that bothers me when they get after the opening, Lady Shiva... Now, this is, I don't think I even picked up on this when I first read it, because I don't think I ever knew Lady Shiva or seen her in anything, or if I did, I didn't remember it. But after seeing how she's been used so well later on in the comics, and especially in the, uh, I wish it would be back, but it's not, the Beware of the Batman uh, animated um, cartoon, Mm -hmm. uh, she's just, she's so flat here. She's so one-dimensional and kind of flat. But then again, I'm I'm judging her on the other things I've seen, uh, but yeah, that, that reading this now fell flat. And then when you get to page five and they're packing to go and Alfred's got the Robin suit on a hanger and he's like, should I pack this? And Tim's like, gee, I'm not sure. Like, what do you mean you're not sure? I mean, come on, if I had that costume, even now I would like bring that everywhere I went. I would walk around the house in it. But like, being Robin, of course you got to bring that with you. Yeah. Lady Shiva, I, I did remember the name from the, uh, now, thanks to the New 52, I always say the title wrong, uh, Death in the Family. I always want to say Death of the Family, uh, that uh, she was one of the possible mothers uh, for Jason Todd. So I remember a friend of mine giving me the Death of the Family to read, I think, in junior high. Um, but that was the only uh, Lady Shiva that I had ever read. So um, I don't think I picked up on that entirely. I think, oh, I remember that name, you know, but I had to go back and kind of reread and figure out which comic she actually appeared in. But, yeah, she's very cookie-cutter or cardboard. There's no real depth to her character. She just kind of uh, pops in and out and is spying on Tim. Um, So I was always kind of curious as the series is going on, like, what is her fascination with Tim uh, through this whole thing? It always seemed kind of weird and kind of off to me. Yeah. Uh, I did like how they uh, recap what happened with Tim's parents, um, where, because as I was reading this again, after rereading all the stuff with his parents, I was getting up to about page five or six, I'm like, they haven't even mentioned his parents here. Um, and I like how they do it, because he goes to the, the gravesite of his mom, and he, he just kind of spends a moment there. It looks like he puts some flowers on it. Then he, he goes to his father, and um, he sees him in the hospital and, and mentions about his hands, um, and that it's strange to leave them. And then he goes, but, you know, there's not really a recap of what happened to them, which I think you touched on this, the difference between Marvel and DC a lot, um, where Stan Lee, I always hear him say, every comic could be somebody's first comic, so you have to explain it. And I always felt when I read Marvel comics, it's like there was just too much background detail in every comic. Like every Spider-Man comic I read, it recaps what happened to his uncle and how he got bitten, you know, and um, every X-Men comic has to go through the whole history. My name's, you know, Jean Grey, and I'm blah, blah, blah. You know, and DC, it's kind of like, all right, we'll hint at it, 
you want to know what happened? Go read those other three issues. You know, go go on the the back, you know, issues and find out what happened. We're not going to give you a whole page where if this was Stanley and Marvel, there would have been eight more boxes in here describing everything that happened with his parents. So I, I, I like the way they did this. Just the hint of it, go find out on your own about it. Yeah, and I did like with DC that they would put the little like editorial like this happened in uh, issue 457 of of Batman Timmy or you know or whatever yeah. it was. So that was always something cool that I knew that oh there was the story was in Detective Comics before this or it went here or there. That's how I was able to follow you know Tim Drake and like this story seems a little disjointed. Why do I feel like I'm coming in the middle of it and go oh I was because it continued from Batman so. Um, I always like that about DC, and like you said, I don't need 12 pages of a history lesson and then get only four pages of actual action. And to know the next issue is going to be a recap of who Captain America is, is all over again, just in case you didn't pick up on it the first 12 issues, we're going to tell you for the 13th issue. <laughs> yeah, and that gets really tiresome if you read them back-to-back or in a, uh, uh, a collected edition. Uh, yeah. Nightfall suffers from that a little bit. Nightfall has that where every first page is a recap of what happened, which I understand because so many people were joining Nightfall week after week. But when you read Nightfall again, it's like, all right, uh, sometimes I just skip the first page and just go right to it. What do you think of uh, the uh, guy, uh, what is this, uh, Chi- Shen Chi's hair, <laughs> a very 80s slash 90s hairdo? Uh, this looks like it's the French Oriental Richard Marks. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Uh, just going back through this, I showed my wife this uh, picture, and she's like, oh, that's cute. That that says 1980. I was like, well, it's 1991, actually. And she's like, that doesn't make it any better. It still says 1980. Yeah. Comics, I always found, are always a couple of years behind the times. Like, I remember Britney Spears came out with, like, the half shirt exposing her midriff. And then, like, Supergirl had that. But, like, four years later, like, they're always a little bit behind. The, what shocks me about his hair is that there was a time in my life where I read this and that didn't phase me at all. Like I just like, I, I must've read this at 16 and just was like, okay, that's a hairdo. I've seen that. Like, yeah, it's kind of, that's what shocked me the most about this. And I, I liked uh, over the course, uh, I think in this uh, series specifically that Tim's traditional hair, his spiky hair would slowly start to uh, get more and more predominant. And after a while in his, own ongoing series, his spiky hair was almost really completely out of control for a while there. Yeah, but, uh, I, I kind of like that they were trying to distinguish between Dick and uh, Jason and Tim. Uh, for a while, you know, Tim had kind of like this Superman s curl. It's like, well, we can't do the comb over like Dick, and Jason had the double cowlick, so we'll kind of give him an s curl. But uh, I always thought the the spiky hair that they gave Tim, even though it was very nineties uh, it it doesn't look dated at all, and i you could kind of believe that okay Tim's going to do something a little different to his hair to distinguish himself um between Tim Drake and Robin if you would kind of um maybe happen to see the two um out and about yeah definitely and i I like the training sequences here. What I really like is the old guy isn't like fighting with them it's the son doing that or the grandson i guess or and um I like how um, the Lama here, the Dalai Lama guy, is sort of here, trains him in the medical arts and healing arts. I thought that was a really cool touch um, because Batman and Robin would need that 
And I remember one comic, I think it was like in the 430s or 420s, where Batman, it might have been earlier though, but Batman, like, he says he needs rest. And he's like, I learned a, a technique somewhere in, the, in Nepal or something where I can meditate and then I can sleep for one hour and it's the same as a full night's sleep. And I was like, oh, I want to do that. Like, if, like if anything, forget the rooftops and the Admiral, I want to be able to just sleep one hour and wake up like I got a full night's sleep. But uh, I, 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 I like the training sequence. You know the training sequence to me where the, the issue kind of redeems itself a bit. And then here, there's some really great artwork of Tim... Like, it's in blue and black shadow. It's on page 12, where he's sort of just, like, by himself in his room after the training. And now he's down in the dumps about how sore he is, how he hurts. Now he's got the self-doubt. To me, I, I think this art is fantastic. And I think it would have so much more, you know, emotional resonance if we had seen him cocky and arrogant and bratty in the, the beginning of the book. And now he's, you know, uh, you know been knocked down a peg. And I like yeah. – I, I agree totally. And I, I, I like this in the same panel that uh, Tim kind of was like, oh, I'm my first uh, day of training is, you know, in the, in the meditative arts and, you know, uh, you know, being able to kind of heal yourself and kind of is dismissive. And after the beatdown he just received, he's probably – you're very thankful. Like, oh, I'm glad he showed me that. And I don't know – uh, why I do it, but every time I have read this and I see the the, <laughs> the, the llama, I'm I'm saying it the way that it's said in a Caddyshack, who oh, yeah. says, "Hey, llama, how about a little something for the effort?" I, yeah. That just goes through my head when I read this. Cinderella story, yeah, <laughs> that's a great movie. <laughs> You're the only guy in America who would like read this. This reminds me of Caddyshack. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Just, just seeing the just word llama just brings that back up, and I, I'm not even saying llama. I'm saying it llama like Bill Murray. Yeah. Said. Uh, he's uh, and then they go to the club. What do you think of the club? <laughs> the the club is really cheesy. <laughs> yeah. Uh, first, it looks like he meets the huntress there at first. When I first read this, I'm like, the huntress? Wait a minute, what happened here? Yeah. Page uh, was it 14 here? Uh, she definitely yeah. looks like it's a disco huntress. I mean, Tim looks very John Travolta-esque, too, here. He's got these yeah. long, uh, purplish-blue pants on and a <laughs> polo shirt and a uh, collared shirt at the same time. I-, I do like here the way they've drawn him. They've given him kind of like a, a fat lip and a swollen eye. Mm-hmm. He's got a shiner on his nose. Um, sometimes in comics or even in TVs, you'll see somebody get beat up, and by the next scene... Uh, even if it's only a few minutes later, the artist or the TV is like, ah, we'll, we'll forget about putting all that stuff on him. But Tim uh, manages to keep uh, uh, his uh, shiners and everything still uh, through the whole issue. Um, kind of jumping ahead here, when uh, what did you make uh, links? If I have the girl's name right, of uh, Tim is wanting to you know try and save her. Um, she's been taken by this uh, ghost dragon gang. Uh, did you think she was bad right from the start, or uh, were you kind of in favor of Tim, you know, running out to uh, try and go get her, but and still getting his butt handed to him? I think that from when I first read it, and I know when I reread it, I think I thought she was part of the gang from the start. I mean, she's got the dragon on her jacket, and she's dressed like she stepped out. What was the video game? Was it Street Fighter where they were all dressed like this? Or yep, Dragon? Yep. Dragon? I think Double Dragon. Like, they're right out of an 80s NES Street Fighter game there. Um, 
and I, I thought that, that Tim would kind of be young and naive enough to think like, oh, I'm going to save her and she's in trouble and not realizing that she was part of the, the whole gang thing. Um, so now it's a little maybe comic book cliched a bit, um, but, um, you know, I thought it was a, a decent way to get him into the Robin costume and get him, give him something to do here. And uh, page 18, where he kind of runs back and runs in, that is freaking awesome art. I, I, when I saw that, I'm like, that should have been the cover, because that is Tim Drake. The face, maybe it'll tweak a little over time, but, but that, the outfit, the, the Eiffel Tower in the background, you know, if this was done today, they probably would have cut out that little box with the, the llama in the top and just made this one big page or, or double-page spread of him if, but in action as Robin. But, you know, getting to that... Page 18 was, was worth it. That, that is really awesome. And I love the way the, the shadowing in the sky, the lines kind of go right with his cape and his legs are going the opposite way. I, I, just That page 18, I think, is really awesome. Really capture the, the movement. You actually believe that Tim is uh, leaping o- over the roof or going from roof to rooftop. Um, certain artists could maybe draw the same thing, but it looks really stiff and really sterile. But this was... Uh, another one that I just I, I wanted this as a poster, and uh, I tried drawing it over and over and over again. I just the the shot was just uh, my favorite. I think probably one of my favorite shots from the whole series. I just kept going back to this, and I hadn't read this in a, a real long time. And when I got to this page, I was like, oh my gosh! I remember showing my wife last night, like, look at this page. She was like, uh huh, it's Robin. I'm like, well, look, <laughs> yeah. look look at the colors, and she's like, is it doing something? I'm like, yeah, he's jumping. Oh, okay. <laughs> yeah. You know, and it's funny, earlier you, you mentioned something, you were talking about the issue, and you said the episode, and then you like you caught yourself and switched it, almost like a TV show. Because it's funny, I don't know if you do this, but after I read a book, when I remember it in my head, when I think about it, I kind of see it in live action. Like, when I think about this, I'll see, even though it's a static image, like I'll remember it as him running or jumping or swinging or fighting. It's kind of weird how your memory, or at least my memory, works. I've talked to some other people who's, who've said the same thing, so I'm not the only crazy person out there if, if I disagree, but I was wondering if that ever happens to you too. Yeah, I'm remembering uh, things like that as I'm going through. It, it, just seeing him, I think this is page 20. Um, the ink on some of my pages are really kind of dark. Yeah, it's 20, uh, where Tim is swinging in on the uh, hook and crane. I, I just have like vivid images of him of completely swooping through and just looking at the page here. I'm going, uh, did I not remember that right? I, I think there was more to it, you know? But yeah. you, I think that just comes from reading comic books that we... Before seeing, you know, movies, you know, like the Avengers and the Dark Knight and all that type of stuff, you know, this is close to live action that we would get for quite some time that's, you know, believable that we just kind of start the movie player in our head and kind of let our imagination take over. So, yeah, I, I'm always remembering you know, little nuances in the uh, uh, comics as if it's a, a movie or a, or a TV show that I watch. So, yeah, I'm, I'm right in that same boat with you. Uh, that's my trouble with, and I know this is old, but the image guys and Marvel for so long with the, when, you know, the, the image guys were at Marvel is a lot of the artwork was posing. The, the, the guys were, the heroes, the villains, they were all posing, but they didn't really have movement. Um, there's an amazing book. I, I don't know if you've ever read it. I recommend it to anyone who even likes comics a little bit. 
I think you can get it at most libraries. It's called Understanding Comics, The Invisible Art. It's by Scott McCloud. And, I mean, I, I, it came out in 93. I think I read it sometime in the 90s or maybe early 2000s. And it blew me away. There's just so much about comics that I happens subliminally or, you know, unconsciously that um, when he explained it, holy cow, it just, it's just a really amazing, amazing book. Um, and he always talks about how there's action, there's movement in comics, but it happens uh, in between the panels. You know, it, your mind makes the action happen. And I think the way they drew this where um, the poses that Robin are in are actually movement poses uh, really lends that cinematic kind of, you know, like I feel like I'm watching a movie and remembering it as a movie as opposed to just remembering really awesome images. Yeah, it totally said it with the uh, image books. It, like everything was a magazine cover. Like, oh, here, here's Spider-Man here. He's, you never see the... Uh, Punch or um, I've said Spider-Man, but I'm trying to think of an image character. You know, uh, even Spawn. Spawn yeah. You know, you, you would usually see the aftermath or uh, before the fight. You don't, you wouldn't get a whole lot, but it would be the big, huge, billowing cape and you know the broken bodies of whoever Spawn just fought. But even in uh, 21 here, where Tim's taken the uh, uh, nunchuck to right to the face, you you get the sense that. Tim's getting his head kind of whipped back, and uh, Clyde here is delivering a punch to one of the gang members. You get that, you know, swooping motion, and even just the little static lines or you know energy lines coming off of the person to kind of show that he's been you know bashed into wall. I just I've always liked that that it's just not a series of pictures that you're looking at your your eyes wanting to focus and you know see that guy flying through you know the burn barrel or whatever. Yeah, have you ever read that book by uh, Scott McCloud? No, I haven't. I've heard other people talk about it. So uh, as you were saying that, I was writing it down, and uh, uh, tomorrow's my day off, so maybe I'll go to the library and see if I can't track this thing down. I've heard people talk about it, and uh, a friend of mine's like, you've got to read this. As much as you like comic books, you would. he's like, it, it'll make your reading of comics even that more in- enjoyable. So I, I definitely want to go check it out. Yeah, it's pretty cool. It, it, it really... Uh made me appreciate comics a lot more as an art form um but it's not it's not a, a like a like a uh, what am i thinking of like a, a real pretentious kind of read it's really fun you know but it's it's pretty awesome um and then that that got us to the fight and once again the, the action in this fight is awesome the the lines the blur it seems like every like kick or punch it's connecting to a face, or even especially Tim's getting hit a little bit here. Um, so yeah, I, I I always thought Chuck Dixon was probably one of the best writers for action scenes and fighting I've ever read. And so I I don't know how much of this was the artist, how much was the writer, inker, colorist, the combination. But Dixon and, and Lyle I think worked together for a while, um, and I've I've always been a fan of Dixon's uh, action scenes and fight scenes. And everything was always so very fluid. I didn't felt feel like that something jumped uh, somewhere. That you know, Tim is uh, standing in front of somebody. He's dodging a punch, and then he's delivered the next one. He, and they managed to capture that in you know two or three panels. But it's not. I never felt like oh, there there should have been one more panel there. Everything made uh, sense as you know the the fight progresses. Even with him swinging in on the uh, uh, ball and chain. Uh, thing where he's delivering the kick to the face and then kind of jumping off 
of the thugs to the ground uh, to where Clyde is. It just it all worked in you know symmetry, and they're all just kind of uh, there together. Just uh, uh, Dixon uh, was definitely one of my favorite writers on the Robin series, and I was sad to see him go. And I trying to remember how many issues he wrote. I I want to say it was like fifty some odd issues, which which is pretty good for having a writer stay on the series almost from the very beginning. Yeah, especially uh, uh, when he was also writing Nightwing, too, at the same time. And I think he was writing one of the Bat books. I don't know if it was Detective or Batman, or uh, but he, he, was, he was churning out a few books for DC every month. So uh, I think he also wrote a Huntress miniseries. Yeah. yeah. And I never felt like his writing suffered because of like, well, he's writing the Nightwing book and Robin isn't as good or Nightwing isn't as good. Each one he was churning out very strong uh, stories. So he may have had at one time four or five books that he was writing. Nowadays, uh, some of the writers are doing one, maybe two. Uh, The last uh, page here, uh, what is that, 22? The last two panels are just completely odd. It's like... old Chinese woman comes into <laughs> yeah. frame here. <laughs> yeah. And I had to go, who is this? And I had to remember, oh, this is Lady Shiva. Uh, not the last panel, but the panel before. Uh, if those of you out there that have this issue, look at her hands. It looks like it's a garbled mess, and I think I count six fingers on one hand. Yeah. It's like she's holding crabs or something. <laughs> That's pretty bad. Yeah. Uh, probably the, one of the weakest of the, I mean, I love Tom Lyle's art. I, I'll probably say this a million times as we're, uh, in this series, but I, I just don't, I don't think it was shaded very well. You kind of see, you know, it almost looked like she's wearing blackface, you know, makeup. She has the two spots where the yeah. eyes are in the mouth. It's just, I know it's supposed to be representing shadow, but it's, uh, it's a little funny. And then, uh, they made her very oriental here and I don't think she's supposed to be. Yeah, there's a few scenes. Uh, we'll get to issue two in a minute. Her her Porsche is one of the ones drawn cars. The rest of the- <laughs> I'm glad you said that. I can't wait to. Yeah, and and I, I didn't even catch the hands till you said that here. Uh, but uh, Clyde Rollins, I remember reading this and thinking, "Ooh, who's this guy? Is he going to become part of the Batman mythos? Is he going to stick around?" Uh, spoiler: issue five. He's not going to be around <laughs> much longer. Sorry. Right, right. Um, uh, but uh, he's very, very one-dimensional. He's like somebody watched the movie Shaft and said, "Let's just put him in or something." He, you know, like it, it's he, he's very like just that typical um, sort of stereotypical African American uh, tough guy. You know, I guess Samuel Jackson's made a career playing that. But you know, he, he's kind of one-dimensional. And Lady Shiva here is it's just yeah, she's just kind of weird here. I, uh, the Clyde character, like you said, is very one-dimensional. I think this could have worked a little bit better had it been. Uh, I'm blanking on the student that's teaching that's uh, teaching Tim uh, to fight. Uh, oh, Chishin or Chishin. something like that. Yeah. If they just would have put him in in this mix, that if he was the one that was kind of, you know, at war with the gang while he's trying to uh, train Tim, he's he's getting that. Uh, getting into trouble here. So Tim's having to try and help him and get training at the same time. Um, they kind of switch a little bit of Tim's training since he's uh, trying to take care of Clyde here in issue uh, two, that it's kind of like, well, I was getting some training, so why don't you show me some stuff? So it's, 
the character really kind of seems a throwaway. I think that's the the only weak thing uh, in the series as as far as story goes that uh, you could really take Clyde out and just put in anybody. There's not really a moment here where you know Tim's like you know this guy trained me and he saved my life and taught me all these valuable lessons. You know when he returns to Gotham, it's like eh, you know how was your training? Oh, it was good. You know I learned a lot of stuff. So there's no importance uh, for Tim and Clyde. I don't know if you... Uh... Yeah, no, I hadn't thought of that, but that, I think, would have been a, a really good angle. would have been better if it would have been Chishin in, in trouble with the gang, because then the llama's threatened. Is, is, you know, he's got to protect him. You know, I, I know reading this, you know, Tim just comes into this. He's trying to save the girl. He comes in. He's getting beating. But how does he know that this guy isn't any the gang? Like he, you know, you don't know. It, it, luckily, he turned out to be a DEA agent. But he could have, you know, been a horrible criminal who they were beating also. Or you know, and he comes in and saves them and fights with him. Um, so it, it, it's just kind of one dimensional and kind of cliched. But I was interested. I think I was more interested. Let's get to issue two and see how Robin does in this fighting than. Um, I was on the old, oh, Lady Shiva's hiding in the rafters here. Um, one of the w- weird things I just picked up on this now looking at it is this is before Robin has his staff, but yet on um, the very last page he's picking like a uh, stick from uh, the, I guess, one of the gang members because he's got it in the page before, and he's using it kind of like how he uses his staff. And I, I, I think I'm just so used to seeing him with the staff I didn't even realize that that was like pre-staff Robin. Yeah, and I think yeah. it's issue three. Is it three where uh, Shiva's having him uh, pick a weapon and other all of these, you know, offensive weapons and Tim states, you know, I'm, I'm not going to kill this or that. So he picks the staff as more uh, of a, a defensive weapon. I've uh, That was one of the other things I liked about uh, maybe not Tim's costume, but they gave Tim his own gadget. I mean, yeah, he has batarangs, uh, but you know, Tim is... Uh, synonymous uh, with the uh, bow staff, and I think any uh, Robin that they draw, if they give uh, a Robin any type of a, a weapon, it's usually the staff, and that's that's kind of cool that, that that was in there, that he used it on uh, a staff or a rod at some point. And even in a 457, uh, when Tim is uh, going up against the Joker, he uses a, a metal staff to uh, break the chemicals that spill onto the uh, scarecrow, so we can kind of free Batman. So uh, they may be p- uh, planning that a little bit, like, hey, we're this is the weapon of choice that uh, Tim's going to use. So I always liked that. Yeah, me too. Uh, the fighting in here in issue two, um, I think it's done again, it's done very well, and I like it that uh, Tim's getting the beat down. <laughs> you know. Uh, Tim's uh, fighting just good enough to uh, save he and Clyde's uh, rear, but they're not making Tim out to be you know this uh, full-blown superhero yet. They, he, Tim still has an awful lot to learn, and uh, I think Tim even says somewhere in here, you know, hopefully that you know this night ends well, or this his one of his first outings as Robin could be his last outing as Robin. Yeah, uh, he, he even has that little bit of a, a doubting here too, but. We see more of a lurking uh, Lady Shiva. <laughs> yeah. Uh, what did you think of at least the uh, relationship that he has with uh, Clyde uh, through uh, through at least this episode of Tim trying to figure out who he was? And like you said, it, 
Clyde could have been just a rival gang member, so Tim could have jumped in to save another gang member, but, you know, Clyde does have some redeeming uh, factors here. Um, what do you kind of think of their back and forth through this issue? You know, uh, in issue one, I was just kind of like, eh, you know, it just seemed, like I said before, kind of one-dimensional, kind of cliched a little bit, the whole Rock and Robin line was just yeah, like yeah. that. I liked it a lot better, and I don't know if you want to segue into this, but issue two, I thought it was a lot better. It got a little more realistic. Clyde is still kind of one-dimensional, but he's, he's a, flushed out a little more into, um, he's, he's, he's a lot more of wanting to help Robin and Robin help him and almost a partnership as opposed to, what are you doing, kid? Are you crazy? Um, so, uh, one, it was just kind of, it was so towards the end and so thrown in, and I, I didn't even really, think about it much. Two, I did like it a lot better. Two, I was starting to say, all right, well, these guys are actually making a, a pretty decent team here. After uh, Clyde and Robin go limping off uh, together to get a break from uh, uh, the gang fight, we see the first appearance of Sir Edmonton. Spoilers, King Snake. Um, <laughs> what did you think of this character? And I didn't pick up on this uh, until I recently read this, that they are telegraphing uh, us that he's blind uh, throughout uh, this issue, and I noticed it last night. That he makes a reference uh, that he wants his guy to be standing closer to him when he's talking to him, and kind of runs into the car door a little mm-hmm. bit. I'm, I'm trying to find the page of that. I did not notice that my very first read way back in the day. It wasn't until you know twenty some odd years later that I I pick up on it. Did did you get from the onset that he was blind, or am I all alone in this? When I reread it just recently, I already remembered that he was blind. I can't remember the first time I read it when I actually picked up on the fact that he was blind, but I think I may have got it when he mentioned about leaving the car running so he could find it next time. Yeah, I, yeah. I, I think that may have been. I, I just don't remember. It may have been later, though. Um, but, um, I do remember what the first time I read it, um, thinking, okay, well, they're, they're going to establish this guy as Robin's nemesis. Like, like part of this, like, even though I was a kid or 16, I knew that comics kind of like had ulterior motives. I knew like the reason the Robin miniseries is being put out there is a feeler to see if there's enough popularity to make a ongoing series. DC did that a lot, where they take a character, give them a miniseries. If they, Marvel did it too, Wolverine, Punisher. Um, if the miniseries sold well, then it got an ongoing. Kind of later on made me mad, because it seemed like no one had faith in Robin, because he had to go three miniseries before he got his ongoing. Uh, but Nightwing had a miniseries, got an ongoing. I think maybe Batgirl might have. I'm, I'm not sure. Um, but um, So I knew part of this was the feeler of, is there enough bite for Robin ongoing. And I remember there was a lot of discussion, uh, like, could Robin, could a, could a sidekick character support an ongoing, um, and the answer is yes. Uh, the, um, but I also remember, like, this was kind of like, let's introduce some villains for Robin. Let's have Robin have his rogues gallery. You can't always fight the Riddler and Scarecrow. So I do remember this guy being introduced, feeling like, okay, well, this is, we're, we're establishing Robin's guys, and then later on when he becomes King Snake, 
um, I, uh, it kind of all kind of made sense. Although I don't don't feel like they used King's Steak they, as much as I thought they were going to. You know, he kind of I think uh, I don't think he really caught on with the uh, the public where they're like, oh, this has got King's Steak, let's get it. You know. Yeah, uh, I think that would kind of go to the KG beast. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> And uh, I like that uh, uh, later on, Anarchy would come, uh, become to be uh, a main adversary for Tim. He would be sporadic through uh, the Robin ongoing series. Uh, Anarchy would be the last uh, villain Tim would fight uh, in the uh, Robin ongoing series. So, um, yeah, I did like that they tried to give Tim uh, his own. Uh, rogues gallery it was it was nice to see the penguin or the riddler show up from time to time but um yeah i think as far as sidekicks go um did superboy i don't think superboy had a title uh around this time at all he was always relegated to uh, teen titans or the superman book am i am i correct in saying that yeah, uh, I'd have to check the exact date. I think it was 93. Superboy did not actually get his own ongoing until after the whole death of Superman and reign of the Superman arc. Yeah. yeah. Because he, he was not around in the previous, and then when Superman died, he was one of the four who um, uh, was uh, came in um, to, to replace him, and you didn't know which of the four was going to take over or whatnot. And then... When they wrapped up that reign of the Superman, Steel got his own series, and Superboy got his own series. Um, and I, I don't think that was till like, 93, maybe. So, yeah, there, there was not a Superboy um, at this point. I completely forgot all about that. I remember the whole reign of the Superman. I guess I kind of lumped them all together, like, all around the same time. But it would be another couple years, you're right, before uh, Superboy would make an appearance. So... There, there's something I didn't know for the day. Probably most, <laughs> yeah. many other things that I didn't. Did yeah. I take out the trash? I don't remember. <laughs> now, with the new 52, I don't know what's what anymore. But I, I think, and spoilers here for this, Sir Edmund's going to become King Snake, and when he takes off his shirt, he's got a big snake tattoo, which I guess back in the early 90s was quite shocking. Now with so much body art with people, I, and so many people are all tattooed, I, I don't think it's quite the... Oh my gosh, he's got a tattoo. Uh, but he must he be must, tough. He comes yeah. from the streets. <laughs> he's blind. He can't even see it. That's how badass he is. <laughs> uh, the, be, you know what would be really funny? Well, he's got this big snake. It would be funny if like they had tattooed like a, a bunny rabbit or something, and like he didn't know it. And he's like, look at my snake. He's like, shh, don't say anything. <laughs> you know, <laughs> we messed up. Yeah. It's a, it's a cute bunny. We, we tell the boss it's a snake. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's, exactly, a, it's a mean yeah. snake. Yeah, they have an Easter basket. Hey, you don't you don't talk about that. <laughs> yeah, um, and that's hard to draw consistently. I think like I, I I think a lot of art and stuff it didn't really look very good. And um, according to some William upside down, he was presumed killed, and then he did show up as a Black Lantern in Blackest Night, but um, which presumes he's dead. But uh, apparent, who knows with the new Fifty Two and what. What's what? So I don't know. Do you know if they brought him back in the new Fifty Two? I don't. No, oh, no. no they have yeah. not. So I guess he was just a guy who just never caught on. Yeah, I they they built him up. He he serves a, a good story point for here, but I don't think it was uh, as big. This is probably jumping a, a little bit farther ahead um, 
because the Joker is going to be in uh, Robin 2, which will probably be, you know, a, a few weeks from now. But uh, were you disappointed that in getting this series that it wasn't an A-list Batman villain that Tim fights up, or were you kind of glad it's more it's more story oriented than Wow, here's the Joker, or Wow, here's here's the Riddler. Let's see how this new Robin faces off against uh, one of Batman's toughest foes. Are you glad it started this way? I remember feeling this way, and I still feel this way. I remember being disappointed that it took place in, in France. I wanted to see him in Gotham City. Um, as far as the villain went, I, it, I I think I like that it wasn't one of the big ones, because then it becomes, oh, this is a Riddler story, or this is a Joker story, or, or whether the villain gets more of the focus. I like that this was Robin. I liked it with some people we had, hadn't met. Um, I do remember and still feel feeling a little disappointed that what way he's in Paris. I, I want to see him in Gotham. So, um, but I can understand why he would have to go somewhere for training. It, it would seem odd if like the world's greatest martial artist was, you know, in crime alley or something. So it does make sense. I remember uh, thinking along the same lines, like, well, it's at least it's, it's a different archi- architecture that, you know, you're getting from drab and dreary uh, Gotham city all the time. I just remember going through reading this, that, a lot of the pages were bright. Tim is always very well lit. He's not uh, hunkering down in the shadows. And um, I'm surprised at how many of the uh, panels actually take place during uh, during daytime. Whereas, it, like you said, if this would have been in Gotham City, it would have been very dark. And just like in the Joker's Wild, it's set in winter, so everything's really dark and you know eerie setting, granted, because it's the Joker. But I was torn. I, it would have been nice to have seen this in Gotham City, but... Um, it did make sense that it, it parallels Bruce, that Bruce had to go somewhere to get training, so it would only make sense that Tim do something very similar. And I, I did find it a little strange reading it now that it, there, he's in the streets of Paris, but then yet it's an Asian gang. Like, I, I was kind of yeah. through me for a little bit, and then later on I guess you learn that there's a Hong Kong connection, and then... On page 17 of issue one, like, the ghost dragon's hideout. It's got like a bigger ghost dragons written over the door. So they're an Asian gang in Paris that has an English name. Um, and then I guess I didn't know this as a kid, but I, I guess now reading it, uh, having gone to college and stuff, I, I think writers tried to throw stuff in and give comics like a little more like sophistication or, or seem a little more smarter than they were because as the gang's walking away on page 17, Tim says she's cursing him in a steady stream of Chinese and French and good old Anglo-Saxon. Now, I think when I read it, I didn't even have a clue Anglo-Saxon, what the heck that meant or anything. I think you might have heard of Monty Python or something. <laughs> no clue. But I know. I think Chip Dixon thought Anglo-Saxon was English. It, it's not. It's a completely different language. It's like old English that was spoken a thousand years ago that, you know, the poem Beowulf was actually written in Anglo-Saxon, and it's a German form. So I, I find it pretty amazing that this uh, Asian Paris gang can speak an ancient form of Germish, German that only a few scholars in the world know. So that, that's pretty impressive, I guess. But so I mean, that probably goes to show that they have a, this gang is very well educated too. <laughs> yeah, yeah. We, yeah. we can kick your butt, but we're going to school you at the same time. <laughs> yeah, well, I love that. The ghost dragons is sprayed right above their doorway. <laughs> the other night, you know, making my notes for the podcast when. Uh, Tim takes uh, Clyde to you know the hotel so uh, he can kind of recover from uh, the fight. Uh, I'm like, 
D, he's really wearing his BBDs. Yeah, I know that too, the white, tidy whiteies. <laughs> they continue to draw him for, I think, three pages this way, or almost two pages. And, yeah. Uh, you know, where, you know, Lady Shiva comes in the window again, like, hey, it's me, mystery Asian lady, but I'm not really, <laughs> yeah. I'm not really Asian. So, like, how long have you been at that window? Like, the last, <laughs> yeah. remember the last time that we were on the podcast together that we were talking about, how long did Tim stare at the window in Corey's <laughs> yeah. apartment? So exactly, this, yeah. This is the turnaround from that. How long has Shiva been at the window? Like, uh, should I wait till he puts on clothes? <laughs> yeah. But there is a 14-year-old boy in here. This is getting kind of creepy, so <laughs> yeah. I, I just better come in right now. <laughs> Yeah, she's like, I better break this up before... It is Paris, but there are still some illegal things here. <laughs> Whoa, Whoa, we have a 14-year-old boy, and we have an African-American in tidy whities um, <laughs> Yeah. Let's get to the training sequence right now, folks, before this gets weird. Yeah, it's it's a kind of a... You know, it's a comic book, so you got to suspend disbelief, but it's kind of a weird scene because... Uh, like Clyde is like, I'm going to get my clothes and get out of here. And Tim's like, well, I tossed them. I've got some new ones coming up. So then the lady, she was like, you got to get out of here. You're in danger. They're about to come in here, bust down the door, kill you all. And somehow in that time, Tim has got his Robin suit on. Yet all Clyde could put on was a pair of like, white pants. So where did he get those white pants? Were they Tim's? Were they? Were, I don't know where these white pants come from. I guess it would have looked a little ridiculous out there in his you know, white underwear on the ledge. Also, the cover would have looked a lot different too, with uh, <laughs> him in his white underwear on the cover. But um, they got him in a uh, blue pants here on the front cover, and then uh, him uh, bandaged up. And uh, yeah, I always wonder, like, what's that white thing on his face on the cover? It's the, it's the bandages. Uh, yeah, it took me a, a while. Like, I, like, there's something really weird about this cover. What's what's on Tim's ear? And I realized, oh wait a minute, that's Clyde's. <laughs> yeah, and once again on the cover they have his pupils, which with cover three they finally have the white in the mask, so they, they they finally got it down. But cover one and cover two, those eyeballs in the mask, it just it just doesn't look right. And I looked over my shoulder at the poster of the uh, Neil Adams, and uh, it's such a cool smile that they uh, drew on Tim. You don't you don't see Batman or Robin smiling that much. You'd see it a little more out of Tim. Uh, being a teenager, but it just kind of caught my eye right there. So we don't see Tim smiling much in this. <laughs> yeah. Um, the, here's how uh, we can talk about the uh, Porsche here, uh, the uh, <laughs> Ferrari or whatever that she had. That would be a Porsche there. Um, let's just open up the can of worms. That is the ugliest car <laughs> <laughs> yeah. in, in the world. Uh, yeah, I don't really know what to <laughs> what to make of that at all. It looks kind of like a souped-up golf cart, and the only reason I knew it was a Porsche because in issue three, um, it gets trashed, and it looks just as bad in issue three. And she uh, she says something, and oh, um, page fifteen of issue three. I hope so. He owes me for the Porsche. And I was like, oh wait, that's a that was a Porsche, and then that made me go back and like, wow, that's that's really bad. Yeah, uh, you can faintly see the Porsche logo the kind of like shield uh, mm-hmm. kind of looking thing right there on uh, page 15 i did want to point out on 14 of clyde and uh robin uh, hitting the ground it kind of looks a little odd there but tim going through and saying you know this this cable's you know very strong and then they still 
end up crashing the ground, yeah. much like Clyde yeah. thought they were going to. So if Clyde hasn't taken enough beatings already, uh, let's just drop him. <laughs> yeah. Almost 10 or 12 stories. You know, you know one thing I think they do really well in this series? Um, and Jeff Johns, I love Jeff Johns' writing for everything except Batman. Um, his Green Lantern origin stories, I, I think, still one of the best stories I've ever seen or read or, you know, just any movie, any TV show, any book. His Green Lantern origin, um, I don't know if you've ever read that, is just phenomenal. Yes, yes. Um, you know, the scenes with, like, Hal Jordan, like, sleeping out in, in front of the Air Force uh, recruiting center before his, you know, on the day of his birthday and stuff. I mean, those, those things just stick with me. Jeff, I've even heard him say it in an interview, talk about how, you know, he, he's not really into Batman. He likes the third string characters better. And I always feel like he tries to kind of knock Batman down a peg. And in year one, oh, not year one, I'm sorry, Earth One Batman, where he kind of, um, I, I felt like he was trying to knock Batman down a bit. And he was kind of, he didn't want Batman to be perfect, you know. And so he goes to shoot the grappling hook and it explodes and stuff. And I, I thought it just made Batman kind of just amateurish, goofy, stupid, silly, you know, just not what I want to see. Here, I think they do it right. Here, Robin is not perfect. He's still learning. He still doesn't have it all down. Like that, and like the landing there is not graceful. In every fight, every guy gets him a few times, and he gets a few blows, and, and there's blood in his face here. But he doesn't look stupid. He doesn't look silly. He looks like a guy learning how to do this, but he doesn't come off as that, like, idiot where I feel like in year one, he, or Earth One, I don't know if you know that scene I'm talking about where he's like yes, shooting, yes. grappling. Like that just made him look stupid. I, I felt, I don't know how you felt about it. This, I think they, they did it right here. In this, it's more fitting to Tim's character. Uh, like you said, that we know coming into this that Tim basically has just been, he could have had this Robin costume all of like four days. So I, I would imagine... This is the only part of the training we never really saw is Tim using bat gadgets in the bat cave as kind of like a training thing. So some of these things, you could kind of do suspension of disbelief here. I think these are some of the first times Tim may be using uh, some of these things in a fight scene. It's not like Bruce said, okay, we're going to string this line in part of the bat cave. We got safety nets down here. You know, Tim's got people firing guns at him and, you know, I'll watch this thing off and here we go. Yeah, we have a badly beaten up African American man in his underwear. Yeah, no wonder Tim dropped him. He's like, okay, your BVDs are a little too close to me. We're, we're, we're dropping it right here. Yeah. Uh, I always like this about uh, Tim's uh, character, uh, even in the Young Justice cartoon and uh, even some of the Young Justice comic book series, uh, Bruce was very, uh, uh, what's, what's the word I'm looking for? I'm not concerned, but was very stern with Tim as you do not tell anybody who you are. You can be out of your mask in front of people, but nobody knows who you are. You don't say that your name's Tim Drake. You don't, you don't do that. In this day and age, you'd kind of like, okay, I'll do face recognition or whatever. But uh, he goes, I think it's... Uh, and a few pages back, he Clyde asks him who he is, and Tim says, "Well, just for now, call me Robin." Yeah, so I always kind of liked that. That uh, Tim was uh, as much aloof as uh, Bruce was, but I always found it odd that Tim would would be out of costume. It's like, "Oh, you're Robin, so who are you?" Well, I can't tell you. Well, I've dude, I've already seen your face. So, but yeah. again, that was a, a cool character beat I always liked about 
Tim's character. He was a little more loose with his identity in certain situations, but at the same time, uh, he was always very respectful of Bruce. Like this is this is what he wants, so this is what I'm going to do, even if it didn't make sense to Tim. Yeah, when I got to page ten, I was kind of shocked. I was like, oh wow, Tim's out of costume here. And you know he, he and then I was like he, he Clyde's gonna know who he is and then he's like well I'm not gonna tell you my name and thinking of it you know he's like a 16 year old kid how would Clyde know who he was anyway like right, mask, right. little mask or not mask his identity is pretty safe you know I remember I think Justice League Unlimited um where um Flash and Lex Luthor trade places and they they trade minds you know mm-hmm. they're in each other's body kind of and. Lex Luthor, like, runs into the bathroom and looks to the mirror. He's like, now I can finally find out the identity of the Flash. And he lifts up the mask, and he looks in the mirror, and he's like, yeah, I got no idea who this guy is. <laughs> like, I don't know if you remember that. But that yeah, yeah. I love that. That cracked me up. Like, Bruce Wayne, you would know. That, that's like, uh, you know, um, Bill Gates or somebody famous for being rich, you know, uh, being, you know, Batman, somebody everybody knows. But, you know, Tim Drake, yeah, you you know, I think he can walk around without a mask, and he's still pretty, identity is pretty safe. We've talked about New 52 off and on. Uh, have you read any of the Forever Evil stuff, or are you aware of what happens to the Dick Grayson character, or the Nightwing character in uh, the aftermath of Forever Evil? Not really. In fact, I wasn't reading it, and then Grayson number one just came out. Yeah, yeah. And I started reading that, so I guess now he is a some kind of a... Uh, spy or something but it, it says in the beginning like dead so did he die or did he fake his death or what happened? yeah they yeah. F- end up faking his death well you reminded me of the uh, flash thing so people that are listening right now want to hear new 52 recap uh in forever evil the crime syndicate uh brings uh nightwing up in front of the whole world and takes off his mask and outs him as dick grayson and lex luthor says grayson who So I would think that you would put – Lex Luthor does end up putting two and two together, kind of goes through and says, oh, Bruce Wayne adopted Dick Grayson's tragedy at the circus. So if Grayson was Nightwing and Nightwing used to be Robin, then Robin was with Batman. So then Batman has to be uh, Bruce Wayne. Um, He has a bomb. Uh, The crime syndicate has a bomb to him, and as his heart's beating – it's causing the bomb to count down. So Lex Luthor puts like a pill in his mouth, it causes his heart to stop, and uh, they're able to dismantle the bomb. So uh, Luthor and Batman are able to revive a Dick, but they keep it in secret, and uh, they put him uh, as a spy uh, in part of the Batman Incorporated uh, storyline with the Spiral, or Spire, I think. Uh, organization and Bruce has said, "I need you to do this. We need to keep your uh, identity dead, as as if you died, so you can infiltrate uh, this uh, crime organization." So uh, all the Bat family thinks that Batman allowed uh, Dick to die and wasn't able to save him. So there's your okay. So Quick. Tim does not know that Dick is still alive. No, Tim does not know. Okay, and in the weekly series that's going on right now with uh, Batman Eternal. Um, Bruce and Tim kind of have uh, conversations back and forth that uh, Batman says to uh, Red Robin, you know, look, I'm just looking out for all the the Bat family. I want to keep us all safe. And Tim says, like you did for Dick. So kind of okay, giving yeah. little jabs back and forth. So there's your new 52 update. <laughs> cool. And now back to the show. 
Now back to 20 years ago. <laughs> yeah, right. Uh, so getting closer to the uh, end of this issue, we have uh, Tim now in a uh, another location. Um, I was trying to go back through and see here uh, that Tim is able to rent these hotels or get these cabins. Does he make mention of where he's getting the money, or he? I think Clyde asks him. You know how he's able to afford all this being a kid. I, I don't know if I missed that somewhere or that's just kind of glossed over. But uh, I like that Clyde is saying, you know, you're playing doctor again, and this is where Tim does his uh, detective work on Clyde and figures out, you know, Clyde was a, a DEA agent, and his uh, parents and uh, daughters were killed. So um, I found that little, little prying, a little bit evasive on Tim. But I guess that's something that Batman uh, was training Tim to do is make sure you know who you're with and who you're uh, fighting for. So I, I like that out of Tim, but uh, Clyde didn't take uh, very kindly to Tim digging into his past. Yeah, you know, that was a little cliched how that was done, but it, it moved fast. So I, I didn't mind. I do like how Clyde is kind of impressed with Tim, calls him Sherlock Holmes. Um, I, I, I did like seeing that through his eyes of like, wow, this kid's something special. This kid's really good. Um, I, I also thought of that too, like, well, all Clyde needs to do later on is just track down who rented this room and who rented this house and somewhere in a, a place in France I can't pronounce, which I wondered, like, does Chuck Dixon know these places or did he just pull out a map? And cause there's a bunch of French names and places. I wonder, had he, had he been to France or does he like pull a map? Oh, this one looks cool. Let me write that down. <laughs> so, um, the, uh, in the recap, I just called it the French countryside because I didn't want to. <laughs> I'm like, I can't say that. Like, lay brains or something. Um, but, yeah, I, I, I like this here, how Clyde um, then starts training him and is goading him not only physically but mentally, kind of telling him he's too soft and he can't do it. And you know it's it's done to get his goat, to, to get, you know, to get him going. But it, it works really well. In fact, in 21, there's a lot of water coming out of Tim's eyes. And that, that's huge. Yeah. You got some anger, kid, and I, I'm hearing the voice of uh, Patches O'Houlihan from Dodgeball. You're going to get <laughs> yeah. angry. Yeah. Necessary? <laughs> Necessary. Yeah. I do it because I like the taste. Yeah, exactly. Uh, yeah, it's pretty funny. Um, and then uh, who's watching them? Take a guess. Yeah. Uh, I'll give you a clue. It rhymes with Eva. It's yeah. Lady Shiva. So and I like that. Uh, at least she says, you know, apparently that uh, Tim might need a woman's touch. And I remember reading this, uh, going, "Whoa, <laughs> yeah. are, are they gonna like do it or something?" <laughs> yeah. And you know, uh, before this, not really knowing who Lady Shiva was, I remember thinking, "Well, what could she possibly?" You know, teach Tim. I remember a buddy of mine going, "Well, I bet he can teach her a couple things." You know, I was <laughs> yeah. like, "No, I don't think they're going to do that." So, um, I, I would have liked to have said that I knew who Lady Shiva was. Even reading uh, Death in the Family, I don't think it's really uh, made known that, at least in that uh, series, that Shiva was a martial artist. So, it wouldn't be till year, years later that I go, "Oh, Shiva is one of the most deadliest uh, martial artists around, next to Batman." Yeah, I didn't really know her until they introduced Batgirl, Cassandra Cain, who turned out to be her mother. 
um, where I really got to know her. So even Death of the Family, when I reread that recently, I was like, oh, Lady Shiva could have been Jason Todd's. Well, you know, like, probably might have even forgot about her in this series and just thought it was just some other background character or, or compared to what she later on becomes in the, the Batman world and the DC universe. Um, so, uh, yeah, but um, I, I, I do remember thinking, like, well... She could be good or she could be bad. Like she, she could be one of those wild cards, almost like a uh, Catwoman kind of uh, character, where you just don't really know with her. Um, I don't know if I picked up on the sexual innuendo of women's <laughs> touch. You know, it's like you've been hanging around with uh, guys in their underwear too much. And later on, it's kind of weird because like I guess abstains from sex and became like a. a a hero to people who were preaching abstinence or something for a while, but yeah, yeah. I don't think that lasted very long. But, um, yeah, I guess it could have went a whole different way right here in issue number two. So <laughs> We would have could have went completely south, like, wow, I did not think it was going to take that turn. Yeah. <laughs> I think I have to be 18 to buy issues three, four, and five. Exactly, yeah. Being that this is going to be uh, our uh, stopping point here, at least for this episode, as if this was the last uh, issue and you had to wait another uh, month to pick it up, uh, if you can remember back that far, where did you think – uh, the story was going to go uh, with Tim and uh, I guess our, our adventures with Clyde, as it were. I, I just remember thinking is I was waiting for the moment when Batman was going to show up to save Tim. Like he didn't quite have it and that Batman was always kind of there. And uh, little did I know that Batman would not show up uh, to help save the day. So I, I think I like that even more out of, uh, the Tim Drake character that they really wanted to establish Tim as as being his own thing. Yes, he's he's still going to need Batman, but we didn't do the okay. Batman's got to come in and save the day because you know Robin just quite doesn't have it yet. Yeah, I think I, I kind of probably assumed Batman would be showing up at like issue four and five, if nothing else, just for the sales point of it, because the cover with Batman sells more than without Batman. Around this time of Tim Burton's Batman and and uh, Joel Schumacher's Batman, Batman was in everything. Like every series had a Batman. Like like if there was a series coming out, you could bet money that by issue five or six, Batman would be on the cover as a guest star. You know, he was just in everything. So yeah, I think I kind of assumed Batman would would come save the day in issue four or five. Um, I think I thought more of Clyde. I, I think if I thought they were going to do more with Clyde long term, that he would become some kind of costume vigilante or be kind of um, maybe like Robin's Commissioner Gordon, so, sort of maybe go that angle, put him back in the DEA. Um, but um, which that, you know, having you having said that, that would have really worked in the Robin ongoing series. They had like a, a Harvey Bullock. Um, shotgun, shotgun, something, right? Yeah, yeah. yeah. Uh, that might have been a nice way to kind of flush out uh, Clyde if they hadn't, you know, like you said already. Spoilers: he doesn't make it past issue five. <laughs> yeah. But uh, you know, I I did think that maybe this he's going to be like his Alfred, or it's going to be his uh, his Gordon, or his you know his confidant if Batman's not around and uh, Tim's left on his own, that this could be somebody he could call in for. So I guess I thought maybe that's where that was going to go. 
other than that, I, I think I, I was kind of uh, really just excited that Robin had his own series. There were books that had Robin on the title. And uh, I think I, I had a lot of just kind of, um, this could go anywhere, but it's, but it's pretty awesome time to be a Batman fan and be a Robin fan. Um, I, I remember very vividly, I think it was in Wizard Magazine, that was out yet. If not, it was something similar to it, talking about how um, the, you know, Two years earlier, the, the, the Bat fans killed Robin, and now he's got the number one book in all of DC. And I, I, I know Spider-Man was a big, Todd McFarlane's Spider-Man was the number one book for that year, but I think Robin was like number two or number three. And, and in fact, in the, the next year, um, you look at the sales, and I think I sent you the link of that, like the top 25 books mm-hmm. all have X-Men in it or Spider-Man there's only three DC books that made the top 25 in sales for the year, and all three of them were a Robin book. And most of them were Robin 2, the Joker, um, at the time. But, um, uh, you know, pretty pretty awesome for Robin fans. Yeah, and that I think that just uh, solidified more that people really uh, started coming into uh, liking not only Robin, but the, uh, the Tim Drake character. And I remember just when you sent me that link, I... I didn't realize that the, the we had three Robin books in there for the top 25. That that I think that just said so much about the popularity of the uh, not only Tim Drake character but just Robin in general. That there we had a legitimate Robin, not that Dick and Jason weren't on any you know haters out there going, oh Jason Todd's my favorite Robin. I I like Jason Todd, but the updated costume. And getting into the whole technology thing that, you know, computers were still kind of in their infancy. And wow, this kid is really smart. I should say infancy, but, you know, somebody that's really smart at the computers. Yeah, you know that Batman was, but you could kind of look, you know, at Tim Drake and go, wow, you know, he's smart at computers. And we got a computer in my lab at school. Maybe I ought to try and learn this computer thing like Tim is. I'd, I'd like to be able to you know, hack into another computers like I even knew what that was. But, yeah. Uh, thinking of the Matthew Broderick, uh, what is it, uh, uh, War Games? Yes, uh, yeah. I uh, loved that uh, movie as a kid, thinking, wow, he's breaking into the Pentagon. But it yeah. just it just made Tim seem real, uh, really important. It wasn't like, okay, here's a Robin miniseries, and uh, they were taking this very serious, and I, I think it really shows... Uh, how well uh, this was done and publicized uh, where uh, Batman posters were in my little tiny uh, comic shop were now hanging Robin posters where a Batman poster used to be. I remember thinking that was so cool that somebody could walk into this little tiny bookstore and it wasn't Batman and Superman on the wall. It was Robin. It was the only poster on the wall. Um, no uh, Marvel posters. So I think the whole entire run and maybe for the next year, it was that Robin uh, poster from uh uh, the front cover of issue one, I remember thinking, so cool. And I asked for the poster, begged for it, and somebody said, <laughs> no, the first day it went up, the first person that came in and bought issue one asked for it, and so that was their policy. So I never yeah. got it. Oh, man. Well, maybe it's on eBay somewhere. Probably not for a buck. <laughs> yeah, no. <laughs> yeah, probably a little bit more. I don't know about you, Terrence, but I think uh, this is going to wrap up uh, issue lucky 13 for us on Robin. Everyone loves the Drake. Uh, yeah. Uh, I'm sorry. I didn't interrupt you. I just want to say thanks for having me on. When, when you told me about doing this podcast and, and you started up, one of the first things I thought was, I want to 
I want to talk about that Robin miniseries. I have such memories of that and that time. So thank you for having me on. I really appreciate being able to talk about it. Yes, definitely. Yeah. And I uh, would love to have you on again as your uh, schedule will allow. And I know you're uh, getting ready to head out to vacation, so enjoy time with the family. And thank you, my friend, for being on. It's always great uh, to have you on here and just getting a chance to talk about Robin you know, and that other guy, too, that ba- that Batman guy as well. Thank you. And, hey, since you're an Ohio guy, i got a question for you. This is going to be recorded for posterity, so you can edit it later. LeBron, is he coming back to Cleveland or not? You know, I don't know. I, I'm a, a Pistons guy at okay. heart. But uh, I don't know. That's That would be weird. As much hate and bile that the city of Cleveland had <laughs> yeah. for uh, LeBron James, that just – I felt like that came out of – I guess really not nowhere, but um, ESPN sure seems to think that it's an 85% uh, a lock that he's going to return to Cleveland. So I'm kind of wondering all these people that you know, were burning their LeBron jerseys, if they're going to, I'm more curious what the fans are going to do yeah. in reaction to this. It's, it's been all over the news around here of having like on on the street interviews and people are like, oh, it'd be great to have him back. This one guy's like, they were actually having to bleep him out. Man, this guy sucks. <laughs> you know, I won't go to another Cavs game ever if he comes back. <laughs> yeah, well, there's plenty of people who will, so I don't think they'll be hurting. Yeah, yeah not at, all. not at all. Hey, so, being a, a Pistons guy, did you see the, um, and probably it was a while ago, I just watched it the other day, ESPN has these films 30 for 30 called The Bad Boys about yes. the Pistons. Yeah, that was so good. I started watching it. I stayed up till like 2 in the morning. <laughs> well, I couldn't stop watching it. That was really good. Uh, some of the uh, clips, uh, my dad for Christmas uh, w- one year, I can't remember w- what year it was, but uh, some of those highlights that they were uh, were showing in there is a uh, the, the Bad Boys of the Motor City uh, Pistons uh, history. Uh, of that, you know, that time frame. Um, I used to wear that video cassette out to death. <laughs> yeah. So it was kind of cool. But the, the videotape is in such poor shape. So seeing some of that footage, I was like, oh, that's so cool. I just remember watching that. So I had to call my dad when it was on. I was like, turn on ESPN. He's like, I know. I'm already watching <laughs> cool. it. And he's cool. like, I felt like I've already seen half of this stuff because you wore that tape out. <laughs> yeah. Uh, it's on Netflix, I think. Was, I think I saw it on Netflix. Yeah, that was so good. Thank you very much, Terrence. In a couple weeks, we will be continuing on with uh, issue three and issue four of the Robin miniseries that features everybody's favorite, Robin, Everyone Loves the Drake. Now I can finally mean the title when I say Robin, Everyone Loves the Drake. Uh, This has been Rob and my good friend. Terrence. For Robin, Everyone Loves the Drake. We'll see you guys in a couple weeks. Take care. Thanks for listening to Robin, Everyone Loves the Drake comic podcast. This has been brought to you by the BatmanUniverse.net. Tim Drake, Robin, and all Batman-related characters are under copyright of DC Comics. This podcast is solely for entertainment purposes, and I am making no money from it. Much to the displeasure of my wife. Sorry, babe. So no infringement is intended by this show. This also applies to all music and sound clips, as they have their own copyright holders as well. You can now find this podcast on iTunes and Windows Media as well. There you can rate and leave a comment to the show and subscribe. I hope that you do. You can also find me on Facebook at www.facebook.com slash everyone loves the Drake. You can send a message there as well. 
If you'd like to email, you can do so by sending me one at r10myers at yahoo.com. That's R as in Robin, 10myers at yahoo.com. And I'll read your emails on the air. Make sure that you head over to the batmanuniverse.net, your home for all things Batman and Robin. Thank you for listening to the show and hearing why everyone loves the Drake. We'll see you in a few weeks. Take care.